Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So, if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code, when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. We continue now with part two of Stephanie's story. In case you missed part one, I suggest you listen to that one first. I kind of wanted to talk about where I'm at now, like the success part of everything. But I I had my therapist, I asked her to to send me some examples of the mental and emotional abuse because she was with me through this whole thing. I hid the physical stuff from her for a long time, but I asked her to send me some of the things that he would do emotionally and mentally that are abusive. Would it be okay for me to read you what she sent me? This is coming from a therapist. Absolutely. This is great. She writes, he asked you to lie for him regularly, which confused your brain about truth, leading to him being able to gaslight you. He liked making you think your perception of situations was wrong. Number two, he would bring up money as a means to tell you how you struggled and make you feel less than especially in decision-making skills with money. Even after the breakup, you would tell me that he was much better at budgeting and budgeting money than you. I don't think that was true at all. He would look for your soft spots and poke at them randomly. He would find whatever made whatever you made a mistake with and focus on that part regardless of the successful parts. In particular, when it came to friendships, he would repeat to you anything he could to try and cause you negative feelings about yourself in friendships. If you really liked something, he would try to claim it as his own and steal it from you. Mm. Mm. He would shine in your success publicly to steal your spotlight, making you think it was good because he was talking about you, but would make the other people focus on him talking about it. And then tell you later that the accomplishments weren't important or valuable. Made you have distance with your kids because he didn't have a relationship with his. But if his kid was around, he forced you to act secondary and not worthy of being around. Openly rude to you around people, he considered his friends to show you he could. There's the last one that you can edit out if you want. He would withhold sex and use it as a tool, knowing that it hurt you, and not because he didn't want to, but because that's how you felt reassurance. Oh, okay. 
Wow. To weaponize that, that's pretty twisted. Highly, highly controlling. Uh, She's spot on. I know. I mean, I just, uh, I, they're so correct, but they're also so well written. The choice of language in there is the first part of some of those. I, I really thought, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then it just got better. You know, it just got, it got more precise, more three-dimensional. The other thing is too, the, the idea of uh, stealing your accomplishments, you know, so that your accomplishments say a lot about him and then to you separately, they're never going to come up. You know, you're not going to hear about him or that wasn't so great anyway. I mean, you came in second place. What do you want? You know, maybe I'll try a little harder. You know, whatever that is, it's just I'm going to divide you into pieces and I'm going to diminish your accomplishments. I'm going to actually help you lower your own self-esteem. Absolutely. It's just so cruel, so, so awful, so, so mean. As an example of all of that, what he would do is anytime I would have accomplishments, he would pick a fight with me. And sometimes it would end up in him harming me physically. Mm. But when I got pulled into the feature department, we got into some huge fight. He found a way to fight. I landed a really solid interview with like an amazing entertainer to pick a fight with me. I could go on and on. I mean, it just happened. It was like, and people would come up to me in public. Oh, I love what you're wearing. I love that dress or whatever. It could be anything. And he would like smile and kind of bask in it in the moment and then, and then put me down later. I mean, it was nonstop. He wasn't going to let you be happy very long. No, he was actively trying to destroy me. Yeah, he just wanted to be able to roll you up and stuff you in his pocket as needed, right? 100%. Yes. So. Do you feel like you've reached a point when you, you don't have any, you know, besides your memories, you don't have any relationship with him, but do you, do you feel like you have forgiven him somehow? I'll stick my neck out in this. No, no. I want to because I know that forgiveness, I mean, I don't want to have a bitter heart. I'm not a bitter person. But let me say that I feel like I need to take responsibility for my actions. I did choose to go back, but it was because I was in such a fragile state. But he could have made changes and he didn't. And he, and even him being in jail didn't change. He was telling people I was crazy. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I can ever forgive him. For what he did to like mm-hmm. to have somebody trying to kill me to me is unforgivable and for him to be on top of me strangling me to the point where i'm i'm losing consciousness and when he lets go and i can breathe again and i'm like please please you have to let me li- live for my children my children need me mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pleading for my life he's actively strangling me and he is in my face saying your children you're a horrible mother you're a terrible mother. Your kids will not miss you. Fuck you, good bitch, and continue strangling me until I was blacking out. Yeah. When I think about that kind of action, I, I really just can't forgive him. And now being in a very healthy relationship with someone who would never, ever, ever, he has a hard time even... He's, he, he can talk about it, but it, it hurts him so deeply to think that somebody could have done that to me. Oh. Somebody that he cherishes and loves is mm-hmm. just yeah. so yeah. painful for him. I'm so glad you landed in that place in this relationship. You know, I've talked with a lot of people on this series that I'm doing, and and they all deserve it to be so much better. You know, they deserve to be happy, and they deserve to be away from all these things. But let me just say, you're you're tied for first place. There are probably others that are 
around that spot, but my goodness, you've been through it so many times. And, and I can tell the way you, you express yourself and the way you worked your way through things, you know, that you were kind of in the ring and you were getting beat up and you're on the ropes and, and mm -hmm. still being in the ring just seemed like this, the thing you had to do, you know, it just, you weren't in a position where you could leave. And I think so many people need to hear things like this, that they don't get it. You know, they, they look at the situation from their, from their viewpoint, which is, you know, they're sitting in their home on a couch, thinking about it and listening to something or driving their car. They don't know about the amount of, of scenes that you've been through that got you to that place where somehow sticking around made sense or somehow sticking around was the next thing you felt you needed to do that it wasn't, it's just not that easy. It's just not push the button, boom, you're in a whole different life living somewhere else and your friends are all nice and wonderful. And, uh, and, and if you want to be in a relationship, someone's ready for you and it's all right there. Everything's just great. Oh, that leads yes. me to something else I wanted to ask you. Do you think when people do this to other people, like what happened to you, do you think that it was intentional? Maybe not every single time, but yes, the majority of the time, I think it was intentional. I think, I think, and my therapist has, we've talked about this, my happiness, because I'm a naturally, my natural state of being is I'm a happy person. That's like my normal resting state is I'm a very happy, positive person. Mm -hmm. It just, he couldn't stand it because he was so miserable. Uh, so I think he actively sought ways to, to crush that. In yeah. The, he wanted to, to attack that. And, and he was close. It was, it was really close. I mean, he got really, really close, but thank God, thank God, whatever, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel uh, whatever whatever spark yes. was left in me was just enough to get me out of there and to get me help because when you the reality of the situation is that it took a team of people to get me out yeah it was not something I could do on my own and survive yeah. it it took the DA's office it took the advocates it took the amazing Rachel Frost you know it, it took the detectives it, it was like literally like a team of seven people that is how dangerous this was the angels finally kicked in and and uh, and pulled you yeah. out you know and the thing about it that was so great is you had reached that breaking point finally you know you finally bottomed out and like that's it you know there there will be no more chapters in this book at least the way it's been going we're now walking out of here some somehow it's amazing it's amazing and that period of time when you hung in there with him with him trying to wonder, you know, who's trying to get him arrested and who's trying to do all these things to him. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's something you'd see in a movie where somebody is just going to walk a very long, high tightrope, which you did. Netflix story. It was, yes, it was definitely a crazy gamble, but is it either that or die? And I wanted to live. Yes. Yeah. It was that spark you talked about? Yeah. But here we are now. I'm like at this really wonderful place, and I'm. I just. I get a little sad sometimes that I didn't have this earlier in life. Yes. Where I'm at now, that I don't yes. have more years of this. Yes. Like my therapist and I have talked about, like when I when I did meet, who is now my husband. His name is Neil. I didn't know if I could trust my own judgment because I picked poorly. 
I can see how you'd feel that way. That's why we dated for so long before, you know, we decided to get married. How long did you date? We dated for four years before okay. we got engaged. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a living testament that you, you can have happiness. You can come through that. I was in such a dark place that if you would have told me that this was going to be my life, I would not have believed you. I probably just would have started crying and thrown my hands up because I just... I know you have to like manifest and envision, but I really was at a spot where I just couldn't see it. And then it walked into my life when I least expected it. And I met somebody who is very protective of my heart. He is a wonderful father. He is a good man. We have incredible communication um, and we have each other's back and we have so much fun and he is proud of my accomplishments. He never, ever, ever could even fathom being upset with me or causing a fight because something good happens. We high five, we hug, we're like, yeah, it does happen. The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big bulky blenders are a real pain to use, but the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code WHENDATINGHURTS12 for your 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. That's BlendJet. Yeah, and what I love about it, because I didn't know all of this, but now I do, but what I love about it is that for people listening who are currently going through any of the things that you were talking about, they have to listen to this and say, wow, I identify with so much of the bad stuff. But if she made it out, doggone it, I'm going to make it out. I'm going to get out too. They can turn to the police if they have to. They can turn to, I would always say, turn to a domestic violence agency, pick up the yes. phone anywhere you are and call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. 800-799-SAFE. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to remember. 799, you have to remember that a little harder, but 800-799-SAFE. Give them a call, chat about it, but start to make your way out of this. It took you a long time. and Seven you know, years. I mean, it, it, it's glorious now. You know, it's absolutely glorious. And, you know, that horrible dream is behind you. So that's pretty wonderful. And Wow. In addition to not only being in a wonderful relationship and having very healthy, successful children. My career just completely blossomed once I got rid of this black cloud. Once I was free of, of all of that, just things just started falling into place in every part of my life. 
and I really, I mean, that's an example of, of how toxic these situations are. It is a great thing that you were a writer before and you can really write now. Who are you writing for? What are you doing? I'm in public relations. Okay. For a, for a casino. Okay. So still writing for them, right? You're, you're, uh, I I do a lot of writing. You're you're creating pieces that you then hope that, uh, media will pick up and run. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And I do some freelance stuff on the side. I've always, since I was a child, I've always loved writing and my teachers would pull me aside and say, you've got a gift, pursue this from the time I can remember. It's good to have that encouragement. Yeah. And I love words. Yeah. I, I'm in the same place. Yeah. You're a creative person too. Well, Stephanie, thank you for telling us your story. And I, as I say, I knew it kind of skeletally, but I don't feel like I knew it quite to the level that you took it. And I think it's great because again, I think, I think it gives hope to victims. And I think that it also points out that that can be a temporary thing. It's really pretty amazing, but survivors like to listen to other survivor stories. They just do. I mean, they just eat it up. I I get so many emails from people and also people who are survivors listen to some of the stories and they say, well, I want to tell my story. I think that's where you came along, right? Yeah. I mean, you kind of hitch your wagon to the train and I think that's just great. I mean, I just think people get caught up in it and they, you know, they want to get to that good place where you are and you show that it can be done, even though you got there in such a really difficult way. So really, thank you so much. I think this is wonderful. This will help a lot of people. I guarantee it. I hope so. And thank you for all that you're doing. Truly, I mean that from the depth of my heart. It's just That's nice. so important, truly. And I hope we stay in touch. Oh, I think we will. Yeah, it's easy enough. Yeah. You know, just drop a line. Yeah. I answer everybody back. So That's it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. All righty. Yeah, thank you. And so a few days after our conversation, I received an email from Stephanie. She said that our interview sparked a number of different memories, and she didn't want to let the moment pass and asked me if we could get back together and we could record some more. So that's what you will hear next. Did you catch up with the last two episodes I put out? I I did. I listened to the newest one, I think yesterday. It was a two-parter, and it's something that she said, and that was, how she just was describing how important it was to hear other survivors' stories. And it's so interesting because even though I'm many years past this now, but just to hear hear other people, especially ones that have gone through something so similar. Hers was pretty violent at the end. Mine was a little more sustained with that kind of violence. But just to know that you're, you weren't alone in that, and that is part of why I do this and why I do tell my stories that I think because like she said, it's so shameful. You're so ashamed. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, and that's why, I didn't, that's why I didn't come forward for so long, along with so many others, I'm sure. In your case, you've got somebody who sends you down the steps and you bang your head on a coffee table or partially disfigured, potentially. And then someone would say, okay, well, that was, that was definitely the last time you were around this guy, right? It's like, no, that's confounding. It's absolutely confounding. And like I told you, and I'm sure other of your guests have said that I lost friends, you know, people just, it's tiring. It's tiring and it's upsetting to see somebody going back and back again. And as you know, the average time to leave is seven times. Victims, survivors try seven. Mine, I actually, mine was the seventh time is when I finally, when I finally truly got away. Seven times. I mean, 
you get pounded around. I mean, you know, I can think of instances in my life where some some guy got rough at high school or something, and you know, I wasn't going to be in the same hallway with that person one more time, let alone sleep in the same bedroom or be in the same house with that person who was just bringing this fury. And I was also talking with some people who were with a domestic violence agency last evening. And I was saying that when I was maybe 12 years old, the kid across the street had, had bought some boxing gloves and he's a really nice guy, but he bought them. He was just curious. And I'd seen a little bit of boxing at 12 years old on TV. You see these guys swinging and hitting each other and man, you don't feel anything watching it at home. We go ahead and put the gloves on and someone laces them up. And this guy was bigger and stronger. He was only a few months older, but somewhere along the line, he, he got me right in the side of the head. And it was like a headache for an hour and a half or more. And you could feel your teeth banging across each other. You know, you probably have a sense of what that's like. And I mean, I was like, I'm never going to do that again. You know, I, I have the slightest sense I mean, we've all had a door shut on our hand and different things, you know, and that pain's excruciating. But again, when you actually, at least to other listeners, you appear to have a choice whether you'll ever get around that again and to go right back to it. It's just, it really is confounding. That was something that I really grappled with was that I didn't understand what was wrong with me. Like, because if you remember, I told you the first time we talked, I had a boyfriend when I was 22 who I was very much in love with and he pushed me and threw me down one time and I ended the relationship. Yes, there you go. But I think being married to somebody that was pretty mentally and emotionally abusive just wore me down so that when this guy came around, I was already kind of broken and didn't totally realize it until years later. Like, ah, this is no wonder that was part of it. It really stretches someone's imagination to imagine that you get to the place where it almost becomes normal. For some people, they look at it like, well, if it only stays at the frequency and the level that it is now, I don't like it, but I can kind of put up with it versus there's a whole world out there and I don't know what's going to happen to me out in that world, especially if you are indebted somehow financially to that person you know, whatever those entanglements, a car, you know, could be any, you know, an apartment lease. Right. At least I know what I've got with this person. Well, I wanted to share with you the, the few times, well, a few examples of when people tried to intervene, like strangers in public. Yes. Very interesting. So um, a friend of mine owns a restaurant in town. Michael and I were sitting, having lunch. And he was berating me, I'm, I'm sure. he. I, I can't even re- remember what was happening, what the subject was, but he was talking so horribly to me. And of course, I'm just like somehow navigating my way, my way through this. And the lady behind us, she turned around and she said, you know what? And she pointed at him. She goes, you're a real asshole. I just want you to know that. And I looked at her and I turned around and I'm like, am I going to be in hot, more hot water now? You're going to pay for her remark. Right. But I all, secretly, I was like so stoked that she said that. And then he goes, he looked at me and he goes, are you going to do something? You need to say something, which is so laughable that I turned around and I told her that um, everything would be okay. Anyway, I, I remembered that. And then at that same place, um, this was probably 
I want to say within the year before he was arrested, finally arrested and went away. We were at that same place. We were not there together. I, we were there separately and he had bought me this kind of an expensive watch, the honeymoon period, you know. There we go. There's your fairy tale romance revisited. Correct. Yeah. And I'll get right. to how he bought me that watch in a moment because this is the other sure. thing, I, one of yeah, the other I things know. I want to mention. Sure. I want to hear it. We were there and he, I could tell he was very, very inebriated. And oh. I felt somewhat safe because I was in a there was people around and people that knew me and knew him. And I knew a lot of the people there probably really didn't care for him that much. And he started in on me. He had that weird look in his eye. It was kind of a faraway look mm. mixed with anger. You know, it was just a, almost like shark eyes. I don't know how else to describe it. Right. Sure. And he started to try to take the watch off my wrist, like physically try, he grabbed my wrist and started to try to remove this watch from my wrist. And the guy sitting next to him said, hey, buddy, cool it. And the guy was a lot smaller. Michael was a, he's a big person. He's 6'2", 250. Little did I know the bartender had gone and called 911. Oh. And Michael didn't know that, but he turned to me. He stopped doing what he was doing. He turned to me and he threw a wad of money at me, like, I guess, to pay for whatever. And he took off. And the, and, the, and the bartender looked at me, it was a girl and she said, or a woman, and she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. Because to me, this was nothing. This was like kid stuff from what I was. Right. Compared. Com right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty junior version of what you were getting. Right. And at this point it was happening with much more frequency. So anyways, two minutes later, I look over and there's a sheriff's deputy standing there, a female sheriff's deputy. And she said, are you Stephanie? And I said, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I live very cleanly. I, I, and she said, can you step outside for a moment? And I said, sure. And I walked outside and she said, you know, there's people in here that are very worried about you. And somebody called 911 and they were terrified for your safety. And I'm like, because of Michael. And she goes, yes. And at the same time that I'm talking to her outside, he's blowing up my phone and she's like, don't answer it. Just ignore him. And I said, okay. And he was, he kept the whole evening blowing up my phone, wanting me to come over. Of course I didn't. I just ignored, ignored his, his interactions. So the owner of the place called me a couple of days later and said, Hey, what, what happened? And I told him the truth. I he didn't know. Nobody knew the extent of what I was going through. They had an idea. And he said, well, listen, Steph, we, we love you. You are always welcome but he is never allowed in our restaurant again. And if you show up with him, we will let you in, but he's never allowed to come here again. And I said, got it. Oh, what a statement that is. That's such a statement. And wow. I was like, I must feel pretty dog. I felt good. good. Huh? I felt protected. I, uh, that's, you know, the troops are now starting to circle around me and right. Yes. So he was upset. He didn't, you know, he was like, well, I don't like that place anyway, or whatever he said. Of course. And then that place isn't good enough for me. Right? right. And to this day, I'm still really good friends with this gentleman. Good. The other thing is the Starbucks manager. So we used to go to Starbucks. We would meet at Starbucks, the same one often. One day I was in there early and I'm sure I had a long night with him. He had probably hurt me and I went in to get a tea or something and he was out waiting in the car and she, I paid and she goes, are you okay? 
I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she goes, no, I mean, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm totally fine. She goes, no, seriously, are you okay? And I said, yes, why do I not seem okay? And she goes, I know what's going on with that man. And she goes, I have a daughter in a similar oh. situation. I can, I can tell what's happening. And if you need anything at all, you let me know. She goes, what's happening to you is just not okay. All of the people that worked there kind of were on board and I didn't realize this. And so they kind of iced him out and he, he never felt welcome going in there really. That was another example. But I mean, they, but they had seen his act in the store. They must've seen you both in there before. Oh, many times. Cause we went there all the time in the morning. So the fact that they had you separated for a moment they could kind of speak to you now because they're not going to do it around him. So. Correct. And I'm sure they had seen bruises on wow. me, even as much as I tried wow. to cover up or not go out when I had. It's not like a sweater on a hot day to send a message. Or sunglasses with makeup, you know. So mm. Um, mm. that was just another example that I, that I remembered. So how I got the watch, an example of me protecting him when I really now is this how you got it or meaning like why you got the watch well why and how okay okay so why you have my 100 110 percent interest in this go ahead so why I got the watch was obviously being beaten he bought me this watch and really it, it was more about making him look good because I had this really beautiful big fancy watch so right. So he must have deep pockets and he can do things yeah. like this. That's the insinuation, right? It's how it reflected on him. Correct. So, and he had taken me out to some really nice, like, getaways and spent a lot of money on us and nice dinners and, and behaved himself during those times. So how he got the watch, his father was passing away. We At least that's what it appeared like. He had a complication from prostate surgery. And Michael was really, he, although he helped him, he, he would scream and yell at him on the phone, the way he would scream and yell at me. And once his dad died, the, the screaming and yelling at me got even worse. So anyways, mm -hmm. he borrowed money from his sister, the one sibling that he gets along with, to pay a life insurance premium for his dad. And it was a big payment because his dad was older. It was like 10, it was over 10,000. It was like 10 and a half thousand dollars. And he hired an attorney because the life insurance policy. Do you mean the premium was 10 and a half? Yeah. Okay. He hired this attorney. The attorney won the case for him. So he inherited a little over $200,000 that he was supposed to split amongst his siblings. And he never told them about it. Oh, sure. Yeah, tricky. So that's how I got the watch. That's how he bought his fancy car, which is just so devious. Was he the personal representative for the father? The guy holding the will and he was executor? I think so. It, it yeah. would appear that he would have to be for him to get his hands on the money first. So yeah, he could be a little bit devious and no one would ever know. Yeah, I mean, he's a master manipulator. After he was arrested the next day, his, his sister, the one that he got along with, her husband, who he also got along with, called me and said, we heard from Michael, we heard, we heard he was arrested. And I said, yes. And he said, where are you? And I said, I'm at his house because I went to like wash his sheets and I didn't know. I was like in a state of shock. I'm no. OK, let me stop you. He got arrested for for hurting me. This is when. OK, that's for hurting you. Not no. nothing to do with the insurance. No, they not arrested and, for that. I, okay. To this day, they All probably right. don't know. Well, they may after they hear this, but go ahead. So he 
he said, you know, I'd, I would like to meet with you. And he was nice to me. I'd met them at their, at their father's funeral. He being his sister's husband. Yes. I agreed to meet with him at Starbucks. I had a friend, not the same Starbucks, a different Starbucks. And I had a friend offer to go with me. And I said, no, I can handle it. You know, this guy, he's really nice. And I, I didn't feel threatened whatsoever. So I get there. I see him. Yes. I go up, I hug him. I'm crying. And he's like, tell me a little bit about what happened. And I started telling him and he stopped me and he goes, you know, one thing I do know, he's like, is there's two sides to every story. And just, uh, he wasn't buying it. This cold chill came over me. I was, I felt so alone and so helpless. Yes. And I'm like, yes, that's fair for you to say, I guess, but I'm here to tell you that this man was severely abusing me for years and I just really never told anybody. And then I see him wave at somebody and I turn around and it's his sister. And now she's walking up okay. and I get up to greet her and hug her. And she just looked at me with the most dirty look oh. and sat down and just left me, I, like left me standing there. So now, now I'm facing these two people that God knows what he's told them. I, I am regretful that I did not show them. I have tons of pictures of my injuries. I'm so regretful that I did not show them the, the pictures. I'm regretful that I did not tell them the kind of person he was with the, was the kind of person that would would take their all their inheritance and and use it for himself. When I went to uh, his dad's funeral with him, I remember I had to wear tights, long sleeves. Like I was completely covered up because I was covered in bruises because he had had just oh. really beat me so bad and i i had to i had to be and it was a warm day and i was wearing black tights black dress black sweater right. i didn't tell them any of this and they just basically told me that we were toxic together which is probably true and just really kind of negated what i was telling them which i was telling them the truth and like well he needs to be in an alcohol program and he probably should have been a long time ago and which they're probably right but that was out yeah. of my control. That wasn't my responsibility. You know, he wouldn't listen to me anyway. And some people think that alcohol causes this and it doesn't. It enhances it in the worst sense. It doesn't cause it. If you're drinking, that doesn't mean you then go around and unless you misunderstand who you are around because you're right. so drunk. But it doesn't take a, a, an average person and turn them into an abuser. It doesn't do that. I mean, I've heard right. enough people tell me that. It's not that I'm a doctor or a scientist, so, but it's right. a cop-out, just a big cop-out. And I'm glad you told me about that because it, it just points out how, how they had some kind of vision of him that he created, and he was probably feeding them the fact that you were difficult or uh, you were always finding ways to argue with him. And so he was feeding that for a long, long time. And for you to then say, Okay, well, let's uh, let's turn to a, a fresh sheet of paper and let me draw you a picture of what was really going on. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> That's uh, that leap of faith is not going to happen. And uh, it's almost how dare you for trying to besmirch this guy who now is going into jail, followed by prison. And I'm going to stand here and listen to you defame my brother, or in this case, brother-in-law by the other guy. You went from having this warm feeling to having a couple people who were like total strangers, cold people. And you, I mean, you, your, your whole world is spinning at an odd angle at that time. And I'm sure you were thinking, get me out of here. 
because it's like I don't know these people. I thought th- I thought they could at least have one foot on my team, even if the other one's somehow being sympathetic to his situation. And they probably feel like, wow, you know, here we're talking with the woman who caused him to have to go off to the to jail. He's being incarcerated thanks to you and your stories. Meanwhile, in my phone, I had all of the documents, all of the photographic evidence, and I couldn't bring myself to show them. I just couldn't. Because remember, this was only that he had been arrested the day before. And I really felt it actually really, I mean, I was already a wreck, but it made it even worse because it just reinforced the idea that it was my fault when I was so raw and my wounds were like completely open and here they are, I felt really not believing yes. me or completely downplaying what I was, to be fair, I was downplaying it. Even though I was telling them he was like severely abusive to me, it, it didn't really seem to register or matter. Like you said, I was besmirching the name. Right. In his time of need, how dare you? That's what happens to so many people when I hear the stories before he was arrested and incarcerated, you're set up to think that your job is to kind of keep him out of trouble, even though he's the one putting himself in the possibility of trouble. You know, so in a way you have to defend this guy, which is great. It must be a pretty heady time for him because you're doing that. You know, he, he can kind of relax a little because you're going to defend his honor, albeit there isn't much left. You Then you become the chief enabler to your own abuse. It's crazy. It's crazy time. Totally crazy. The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by Cure Hydration. The purpose of the When Dating Hurts podcast is for us to achieve healthier relationships in life. The purpose of Cure is to help achieve healthier hydration routines. Dehydration is the leading cause of daytime fatigue. Even mild dehydration can cause muscle weakness and brain fog. I feel it when I'm playing pickleball for hours and water doesn't do enough. I was excited when I discovered Cure. It's an electrolyte packet that hydrates just as effectively as an IV drip. Cure packets are convenient and easy to use. Just mix them with water, then drink. Pretty perfect when you're on the go, or traveling, or really anytime you need a fast hydration boost. Cure helps your body absorb water and rehydrate quickly. And Cure comes in a bunch of delicious flavors. Just mix Cure in 8 to 16 ounces of water and you're good to go. Try Cure soon, and you'll feel the difference. Head to curehydration.com, and when you check out, add my discount code, WhenDatingHurts1, all one word, no spaces, WhenDatingHurts1, and you'll get 20% off your order of Cure. Cure Hydration with Cure. It's crazy. It's crazy, and it was awful, and I often... I, I still think about that sometimes because I, I really do somewhat regret not really showing them what was really going on. But I sometimes wonder, did they not wonder why his bail was at a million dollars? I mean, murderers get less than that. Do you know what uh, I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many years did he get? He was sentenced to eight and served just under four. Okay. But if he wouldn't have taken that plea deal and this went to trial, then he would have been facing a lot more. And that's the other thing. The, one of the reasons, besides he was trying to avoid a lengthier jail sentence, is I think he did not want his family members to sit through a trial and find out what a liar 
what a what a uh, charlatan he really was and how truly violent he really was right because evidence would have been all these different photos of you and all these situations and stitches and various wounds head to toe yeah i mean that's that would be quite an education for them i'm sure you've even thought about this since you met up with them that day i have but i just feel like what goods it, it's gonna i feel like in a way it will make me look not petty but like i at this point what's what's the point it's been it's been seven almost eight years so i, right. I don't know right. what and i don't want to pick open a scab like that and well yeah. uh, and that was the that's the right thing to do and you have a lot of things to look forward to i'm sure and you have any restaurant you ever went to you can go back to which i've done so yeah you've got a lot going on i mean you're a ball of fire oh thanks so one of the things he used to do and i'm sure you've heard this from other survivors you've spoken to is he would try to he would try to throw a monkey wrench into my job i told you i think i emailed you he broke three or four, maybe even five of my cell phones, which are vital to my job. He dumped an entire 20 ounce cup of water all over my laptop, my work Uh, laptop, my only laptop, and uh, it couldn't be fixed. And I had to thank God my work had like a spare one, a kind of a clunky one that they let me use. uh, Another time I had gone to a parade and I had to file my story by like eight o'clock that night. And he was hungry and drinking. And I was sitting at the counter trying to write this story. It was about a Christmas parade. And he said, I'm hungry. When are you going to be done? And I said, I don't know, maybe a half an hour, but I I have to file this by eight o'clock. Like that's my deadline. So it could run in the next day's print edition. Yes. He kept harassing me about it. And I was just really focused and sort of like, I'm almost done. I'm getting there. And then he finally warmed up some food and he took the food out of the microwave and he looked at me and I looked at him and he threw the entire hot food all over me, all over me, the computer. It like flew onto the TV. Like he just full force threw it. And then he grabbed his fork and he, and he's standing maybe three feet from me on the other side of like a kitchen Island. And he threw the fork right at my head And I turned really fast and the fork hit me on the side of my head. And I had a bruise in the shape of a fork on the side of my head. Oh, no. What I just told you, that type of thing happened often. Often. Unspeakable. It's so crazy. It is. it, It is. It's absolutely crazy. Any one of these instances, for most people, they'd say, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me and it'll never happen again. And I often would think, because if he would attack me in the front living room, there was a window there, but he had, he had blinds, but I often wondered if they were, if they were open and somebody was walking by and saw what was happening, they would think somebody was being murdered. Sure they would. Oh, of course. They would probably break down the door and come in and. Sure they would. Use lethal force. Right. Or receive it from him. Right. And then, and lastly, what I wanted to talk about was documenting. Good point. It's so important to document. It was really critical to my case that I had documented. And I didn't always document. I started to do it in like the last couple of years, just because it was getting so bad. And I was really concerned, obviously, for my life. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, and this is 
kind of an anomaly in, in my case, I think he really didn't go through my phone that I'm aware of because if he would have seen the notes that I kept and the photos that I have, I think he would have. But I, I really feel like it was important for me to remember a timeline, like when things happened. It was probably a little bit of guidance from above for me to do that because it really, it really was crucial in getting that bail enhancement and letting the authorities know just how serious this was beyond them seeing it for themselves. But yes, there were so many incidences. And to that, I would say that it's, I would say if you're going to document stuff, you have to be so careful because you don't want that person to find your stuff. Yes. So I would take photos at, and I had a folder in my phone and I started taking notes Mm -hmm. So this is what happened. And I would say just like a, a summary of what had happened during an attack. You do like a voice so, memo? No, I would type it out. I would just type okay. it out. And But what kind of a document was it? It was like a um, like just a notes program like a in note my thing. phone. Okay. And I would try to keep it somewhat brief. Yeah. Say, for instance, um, Michael was drunk, um, threw me to the ground, started kicking me, drug me through the house, you know, pulling my hair, strangled me, you know, spit in my face, whatever. I, I would I would list the things that he did to me. And then I would back it up. I would have photos. And those wound up as part of your case, did they? Because the investigator took my phone and they downloaded my entire phone. Oh, yes. Okay. Their forensics team took my phone and, and um, basically downloaded everything on my phone. And so could see all of our communications, could see any anything in my phone they could see. So they could corroborate my story because it yes. lined up with what I was telling them. If you said on August 14th, uh, 2006, this thing happened and you give all the description and the rest of it, how do they know you didn't write that two weeks before you went into the courtroom? That's why they downloaded my phone. I think it's time stamped in your okay. phone. And then he would he would often text me or call me after one of these incidences when I finally could get away from him. Yes, He would never admit anything, by the way. He would say he was sorry. I would say, why, why did you do that to me? Why would, what, why in the world would you ever treat another human being like that? What is, what is wrong with you? And he would say, I don't want to talk about it or just come over and I'll show you that I love you. Or he would never admit any. Yes. No admitting. Ever, ever. The only time he admitted, the only time he admitted anything was when he pled guilty mm -hmm. in okay. front of. And he needed to do that for a lesser charge. Correct. Yes. Yeah. To save himself more time in the clink. That's right. Gee. Yeah. It, I wrote notes in that. Oh, and one one last thing. I sent you the summary, the summary that Rachel Frost prepared. Mm -hmm. And when I go back and reread it, I can't believe some of the things that I said. I read it when after I sent it to you just to read what I how it looked. And just me saying that I love him and that he's a good person. He's just misguided or I, I just, it's nauseating. It just goes to show what a, what a, what a broken spirit and state of mind I was in to even be saying what I was saying. I would just say, you know, to remember that there is help out there, even if it's a baby step, you know, to reach out to your local family justice center, which they were huge in helping me a trusted friend, just trying to take the stigma away of being ashamed because it isn't your fault. It isn't your fault. 
And I remember the investigators telling me, even if you were a heroin addict, it doesn't matter. Nobody deserves to be beaten. Yes. Like it, it doesn't matter at all. Like this is not okay. And and these people that are experts in this, they know, like you said, they know all the players, they know the tricks, they've heard it all and they will help you. And they will not, at least in my case, I wasn't, um, I was encouraged, but I wasn't pressured or I, I wasn't shamed for not leaving sooner. They were patient with me and let me know that they were always there for me and they were. So I would say really reach out because it is freeing to finally start talking about it and realize and starting to get the abuser's voice out of your head and start hearing the truth about what's really going on. And these people are valuable interpreters of what you are experiencing and they can listen to things you have to say and, and, and help you even understand your own mind at that time. You go back and look at your notes and it's almost like you like someone else wrote this except it's in your hand and you partially remember writing these things. How fooled was I? How far down? I mean, you were led down, miles down the path, many, many miles down the path. Absolutely. Let me ask you, when that moment that you bottomed out, the moment that you went from putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it, thinking about maybe get out of there, but then still putting up with it. But when it was completely a shutout that you were out of there, do you remember that moment? I do. And I don't think I mentioned this before, but he had cheated on me. Tell me again. Sure. Okay. So that was the, that was the catalyst. That was just so, it was just beyond insult to literal injury. I just could not believe it. And when that was all happening, it was a very brief affair that he had with somebody he met in a DUI. He had to go to classes because he got a DUI and he met a woman in that class. They had like a two or three week little fling and I couldn't let it go. He, he beat me so bad. And that's when he held me hostage at his house. And that is when I turned the corner, even though I continued to see him for another, what, almost nine months. Because remember, I told you, I felt like I, I had yes. to. You had to ride it out to a certain point on the calendar. Yes. But that's when, that's when I was done. I, I inside, I, and that's when I was like, okay, I, I absolutely have to get out of this. This man does not care about me. He's going to kill yes. me. Why am I doing that? Like, it's something snapped in right. me. And that's when Rachel broke her back. <laughs> so that's why it, this kind of got elongated or she injured herself. I, I don't want to. I think that's what happened, but she she had a, an injury that kept her off of yes. work for a while. So, this is truly a case of insult to injury. It's bad enough all the injuries, really. But then, they're like, wait a minute, there's somebody else. It's like, how dare you? I mean, it's bad enough you're beating me up, but at least we're man and wife, kind of. And then all of a sudden, now you're doing this. Well, and he was carrying on with this person while I was cloistered in my bedroom, away from the world, because I was covered literally covered head to toe in bruises and that's when my when he had fractured my sternum i was a mess i was truly a mess and he's carrying on i'm like that's it and then their whole thing was his whole thing was oh you're a scorned woman <laughs> call it what you want you can call it whatever you want it's called i'm getting out of here this is whatever this this was what it took to break me to break to shock me out of my this fog thank god you got there so that's how I got there. 
like I say, the escape was endless, but still, you know, you're aimed in the right direction at that point. You knew there was no turning back. So no turning back. Thank you for two different interviews with me. And you're awesome. Thank you again. Truly. Give me so much to work with and so much to share with everybody, because this is really a selfless yeah. act from you and to everybody. It's a, it's a variation on the love letter to other people who are in this spot that you were yeah. in, those victims, and also to the other survivors, because you will never find a club of people who love each other more than survivors, loving victims, and other survivors. I mean, that is true love. My admiration for you and others is just uh, as much as I can muster. So thank you for coming back on a second time and doing this. You know, that was... Thank you so much. I'm just so happy for you right now. Thank you. Me too. Good. I'm in a really, really wonderful place. This concludes part two of Stephanie's story. Stephanie more than deserved a dramatic turnaround, and Neil became that perfect person for her as she heals and finds happiness in life. Go to the next episode and listen to my conversation with a wonderful man named Neil. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play Survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil. All the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. Hey guys, I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking. Brought to you from Podcast One. Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words. Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know? We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked. So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. Strictly Stalking.